As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Don't distrust the broker's comps. Actually go to the properties or at least as Joe mentioned on the last week's episode, look at them on Google Maps just to at least give you an idea. But then also they need to be the same property type. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with them to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, you know, he's uh, brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there, and we've built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, we have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got, and assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. 
uh, all you need. Well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, but besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. And his phone number, 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice to ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And it's follow along Friday. And with follow along Friday, as you probably already know, because you're a loyal best ever listener, we talk about what we got going on so that we can apply those lessons we've learned to help you out. That's the whole name of the game, helping you out in whatever you're doing as a real estate entrepreneur. Got with us Theo Hicks, like we always do on Fridays. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well and looking forward to our talk, our catch up, and ultimately helping out the listeners. So you want to give some updates? Yep. So last week I underwrote my first apartment syndication deal. And really? That your first? I thought you've been underwriting deals. <laughs> For my particular business. So well, I've underwritten about, other deals before. What about that one you were talking about before where you visited it and it was local, it was uglier than you thought it was. I, I oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It's this, this is the second one then, the second one. So you officially just lied to everyone. Officially misremembered everyone, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's the second deal I fully underwrote. And when I mean fully underwrote, I mean I actually do the financial model and then I actually visit the properties in person and I visit all the comps too. So it was a property, it wasn't actually in Tampa technically, it was in St. Pete, which is like an island off of Tampa. And just want to go over a couple of takeaways that I had when I visited the comps, because again, I was really excited about this property because pictures look great and the property looked really nice. The numbers made sense based off of the comps that they used, but I just had to confirm that there were actually comps. And my opinion, I don't think they were, and I'll kind of go over why I think that, and you can let me know if you think otherwise, but I'm pretty sure we'll be in agreement. So kind of the three categories that I broke it down to was the surrounding area. That was number one. Number two would be the actual demographic on site walking within and then kind of around the community because I went on a Saturday. So everyone's home, everyone's walking around and the streets are busy surrounding the property. Then also the property type and I go over what all three of those mean in a second. So the areas were different. So we drove to all the comps first just because that's kind of how our, our trip took us. Who's we? Me and my wife. Okay. Uh, me and my girl right. it. Got it. And we drive to the, the first comp. It's got these really nice brand new office buildings surrounding it and multiple low-rise apartment communities that are similar level to this comp. Then we drive in, then it literally looked like, like a resort. I felt like I was at Disney. And that's kind of the similar experience I had for all of the, I think we went to four or five comps in total. And they all had that same feel to it. They were all five, six stories tall, built in the 2000s. Surrounding area had a lot of new retail. So not even just like the existence of retail, but newer buildings with the retail in it. So area that was developed. Actually, two of them had a dog racing track in front of it. So Marcelo didn't really like that that much. And then we go to the subject property and it's right at the highway, which is good. But then we drove in the back and you can literally see the highway from the back of the property. And it was really, really loud. So that property to be addressed. But it was surrounded by hotels and the only retail I could find within a mile radius with a Cracker Barrel. So that was a little different than I expected. So in my opinion, the areas were not similar enough for those comps that we looked at to be comps. The areas were too dissimilar. There wasn't enough, enough retail and businesses and places for the residents to go surrounding the area 
How where close did, were they to the subject property? Four, four or five miles. Okay. There was no apartments of this size. It was between 250 units. Mm-hmm. There's no apartment of that size within like a four mile radius of this property, which is why they're not that far. So the areas was kind of like, okay, this, these areas are a little bit different. The demographics, similarly, the people that were walking around the comp properties looked more like young professionals that just graduated college. Not really any families. It looked like people like our age. So I'd say maybe a white collar, whereas other property, the demographic was blue collar, which I'm sure if you actually update the units, you could attract that. But I was just concerned about the actual demographic of the area and are there enough of the white collar workers for that property to attract. So that's something I needed to look into. But the third category is why I disqualified them because all the comps were low rise, those five, six story apartment buildings. And then the subject property was a garden style. So it was just a regular two story apartment building. So the expenses are going to be different. The type of tenant you're going to attract is going to be different. They're just two completely different property types. Mm -hmm. So I guess the lessons that I learned was number one, those are some things to kind of look out for when you're driving to the comps. Just to reiterate, don't distrust the broker's comps. Actually go to the properties, or at least as Joe mentioned uh, last week's episode, look at them on Google Maps just to at least give you an idea. But then also they need to be the same property type, which is something I could have noticed when I was actually looking at the comp pictures, but I didn't really investigate it that much because I wanted to drive the market anyways. And so I realized that if you're looking at a garden-style apartment, which is the one, two, or three-story buildings, you should probably be comping other garden-style apartments and not the low-rise or high-rise buildings. And when you're looking at comps, you're looking at it from a rent standpoint, how much rent you can command relative to other comps. Is that correct? Yeah. So why does it matter if it's garden-style versus low-rise or mid-rise building? Well, the reason why I even discovered that distinction is because I was trying to figure out a way to have a better understanding of what the expenses would be for the Tampa area. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of doing some investigations and they actually have this report. And this is another update I was going to give, but I'll go over it now. It's called IRET. And they basically survey apartment owners, property management companies, and all the major MSAs. I think they do like 140 MSAs. And they ask them essentially what their income and expenses are. And so line item by line items so of what's your rental income, what's the vacancy, loss of lease, concessions, all those line items. Then for operating expenses, what's your maintenance and repairs, taxes, insurance, contract services, things like that. And when I was looking into that, they break it apart by the low rise and the garden style. And then I think the other one was high rise. And all the numbers were different for those three. And so that's why I was thinking maybe that's because there's a different demand for the low rise versus garden style. Obviously, I understand the expenses part, but I was kind of confused or I guess taken aback by the rental income because I I assume the same thing as you. But when I was looking at kind of comparing the the incomes on that report, they were different, which made me assume that the rents were different. It was by a dollar per square foot basis. And then all the other things were a percentage of the gross potential income. But Aside from kind of my comp thing, that was the update I wanted to give that if you're looking to figure out what the market rates are for the high and the low and medium range for your market, that's a good report to download. It's not free. It's like 500 bucks, but I think it's going to be very helpful. What do you Google for that? I Googled IRET income and expense reports, but the website is IREM.org. Cool. So it's actually IREM, not IRET. Mm-hmm. So IREM.org. You'll find those income and expense for 
all the different commercial types. So they have for office, retail, everything. That's why I figured there'd be a difference, but I wanted to bring it up on fall on Friday to see if you had a different opinion. And if you thought, what well, does it matter if it's a low rise, high rise, just matters what the amenities are offered and what the units look like in the area, of course. Yeah. I haven't bought anything other than garden style. So I, I don't know. So I'm glad that you talked about this. And as Ashcroft Capital continues to evolve, we might start buying some low-rise, mid-rise buildings. I think it depends on the area too. Dallas, Fort Worth, there's not a whole lot of those relative to garden style. But Mm -hmm. I feel like in the coastal cities, there are. So if we expand to more coastal cities, then we might come across more of those. Yeah. So those are just the things I looked at. I'm going to do the same thing this week. I'm actually underwriting three deals right now. I need to pick two to visit, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. Maybe we'll hit two on Saturday. I'm not really sure. But one of them, again, is in St. Pete. And then another one is in northern Tampa. Another one's by that property I talked about last week that I misremembered. So that'll be good because I'll get to double hit that area again. And really the main thing I'm trying to do is get a better feel for the market. Just driving around and on the way there, while you're kind of driving around the area, you get a really good understanding of the vibe and the feel of it that you can't get otherwise. And it's kind of just good to drive around and get out of the house. So, <laughs> And you already have a head start with one of the properties because it's near the property that you already looked at. So mm-hmm. you got a sense of that area. Cool. One other thing too that I just learned yesterday. So as I mentioned, maybe a couple episodes ago, me and my business partner kind of separated our duties a lot more. So I'm focusing on finding the deals, underwriting the deals, and I'll be doing the asset management, whereas he's focusing fully on raising capital. So, you know, building a brand, talking to investors. And his goal is to talk to a handful of investors every day. And yesterday he talked to an investor who had a net worth above $15 million and the ability to raise $5 million in capital for deals. And I need to follow up and say, did he say that he's willing to do that? Or is that what he's able to do? (laughs) Because of two different things. But regardless, that was some good news because great. the types of properties we're looking at are the 100 units or more. So it's going to be $5 million or more equity raise. Mm-hmm. So that was really good news. And so now it feels a lot different underwriting these deals now because now it's real. Whereas before, I'm just like, well, I'm practicing on these bigger ones until we either get the capital so that in the future when we have the capital, I can be prepared. But now it's looking like we're going to be able to take down a, a deal over 100 units. So that's really exciting. You're growing into your vision. Yeah. That's the key. You had the vision and you were taking action on it. And lo and behold, now you all are speaking to people who can help you realize that vision. But if you didn't have that vision to begin with, then you likely wouldn't have put yourself in that position to have those relationships and conversations about what you're doing. And I think it brings up an interesting point because I know some people who have a very small portfolio, but they talk about partnering with hedge funds and family offices and people with $500 million net worth on $50 million deals. And I believe sometimes the vision, if it's quite frankly, unrealistic or not likely, it can be a hindrance to your progression because People can be so focused on getting the one big deal and fast forwarding from a very small portfolio to a $50, $60 million project 
there's usually a couple steps in between at minimum. And sometimes having that big, big vision with that big, big vision, if you just focus on that, you're missing out on the steps in between that can get you there. And then you don't end up doing anything. Mm -hmm. So I believe with your vision, it is a very realistic vision. Well, hey, I got a small portfolio or large portfolio, depending on how you think about it. How many units you got? 12, 13? Uh, 13, yeah. 13. 13, okay. So you have a 13 unit portfolio. I'll just call it that. And now I want to get into larger stuff and I will get into larger stuff with 250 unit property, one property. That's doable. And that's a good segue from a 13 unit portfolio versus if you said, hey, I want to go find a 50, $60 million property which by the way, a 250 unit could be a $60 million, but that's not what you're looking for. It's a good way to think about things. And I do know people who have the grander vision and it's good to have the grander vision, but at the same time, it can make you miss out on opportunities that can actually get you there faster if you did take those smaller opportunities. Yeah, actually, I was talking about this. I recorded the syndication school episodes starting next week. So if you're listening to this now, they're not out yet. They're coming out next week. But it was kind of about that. It's about having that grand vision, but you can't just have that. And at the same time, you just can't have like a one-year goal and that's it. You need to kind of bring those together, have your grand vision and be like, all right, what can I do this year to get me one step closer to that grand vision? Not what can I do this year to get that grand vision. It's what can I do to get myself closer to that grand vision? So you put it really succinctly. Of course, I have got a vision of owning a ton of apartments, but I realize that I'm not going to have... 2,000 units in six months. It starts with one deal first. So I'm focusing on that one deal, but at the same time, making sure that at the same time, I'm also creating skills and learning things that will help me get to that grand vision. So kind of making sure that I'm covering both at once. But I totally agree. If I was focusing on buying only a $50, $60 million, 400 unit property, then I'd probably be underwriting deals for a while. Whereas now, if I find a 100 unit property that meets my criteria, I'll take it down for sure. Yeah, and also one way that manifests itself with having a much larger vision than that where it becomes actually a hindrance is thinking about how much in that 12-month goal that you mentioned, how much that you want to make within those 12 months. A lot of times when I talk to people, they list out an amount that they want to make within 12 months when they're getting started in syndication as the same amount or greater than what they're making currently in their full-time job. And it's a little unfair to apartment syndication to have that goal. It's possible, by the way, but it's also a little unfair to apartment syndication to have the goal that in one year, you're going to replace the income of your full-time job because how many years in your life have you spent honing skills to earn the salary that you're currently making in the full-time job. Probably longer than a year is my guess. Probably five years, 10 years, maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. And when we have goals that, okay, I want to replace income in 12 months, I love the ambition, but perhaps that ambition will be a negative or perhaps the grand vision will be a negative because if you don't achieve the replacement of the income, then perhaps you won't have the motivation and inspiration to continue. And I can tell you, if you do continue, do consistent action, you do things like you talk about in syndication school and on this podcast and in our book and all that other stuff, 
you're going to replace your income in multiples. Five years ago, I think five years ago, I think about five, five and a half years ago, I was leaving my full-time job in advertising. And I don't know how many times, but I haven't even done the math, but a whole lot more in multiples than what I was making in my full-time job. But it didn't happen in 12 months. And it, it usually doesn't happen when you want it to happen in the time frame you want it to happen. So it's just important. Takeaway is have a vision, but know that it needs to be as realistic as possible so that you don't get discouraged when you don't achieve it and you don't miss out on opportunities that can incrementally get you there actually faster if you take those opportunities than if you pass on those opportunities waiting for the golden goose. Mm -hmm. I think using the example of the quitting the job is perfect because I bet the most common post on bigger pockets is someone who's just starting out in real estate and they want to replace their income with their full-time job. And I always want to respond every single time. Yes, it's totally possible. And if you put your mind to it, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen as fast as you want it to happen. And if you're already discontent in your full-time job, understand that you're going to be there for at least 12 months before you're even able to entertain the idea of leaving. So just kind of understand that. And I don't say that to kind of zap people's motivation, but to hopefully inspire them and have them think longer term and think in terms of decades, as we say, instead of the next couple of months. So yeah, those are all great points, Joe. Yeah, It is possible to do it within 12 months, but if that's what you're banking on, then it can be a letdown. And that goes back to 50-50 goals that we've talked about before. 50% of the goal is achieving the goal, and then 50% is actually understanding the skills that you acquired during that period of time where you've been attempting to achieve the goal. And regards if you did or didn't, at least you have those new skills that you've honed and or acquired so you can apply that to future stuff. Yep, exactly. All right, so those are my updates. What about you, Joe? I've been focused on personal development and some specific things I'm doing real quick. One, Colleen, my wife and I went to a CPR class so I can now, <laughs> if you start choking, I can do the Heimlich. And if you have some sort of cardiac arrest, I can do CPR. So that's important, especially since we're going to have a kid in about, I don't know, between today and two, three weeks from now. So I know baby CPR too, basically the same thing, but use two little fingers instead of yeah. your whole hand. Plus you cover their nose and mouth with your mouth whenever you're giving mm, yeah. the two breaths. Certainly, if you're interested in CPR, go Google it. Don't just do exactly what I just said. So one, we did CPR, learned that. Two, and this is all this past week, by the way. Two, I finally solved the riddle that is waking up with inspirational speeches. I couldn't figure out how to do it through Sonos until I looked at Spotify, which is connected to my Sonos speakers. And Spotify has Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N tracks. So now I simply set the alarm to wake up to Jim Rome. And there's probably others too. But one cool thing about what I found on Spotify when I searched Jim Rome is that some people have mixed his speeches with music. So it's waking up to like a jazzy Jim Rome speech, which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And Colleen approves, which is important too. So that, that's good. So we can wake up to that and did this morning. That's two. Three is to date, I've completed 12 books for the year, which is kind of weak sauce. So I'm going to put a more concerted effort into reading, completed a book, 
this past week is a fun book, Leverage and Death by J.D. Robb. So it's like a, a spy thriller. So not necessarily work related, but Tim Ferriss would say it is actually more beneficial to read fiction books than nonfiction from a business standpoint, because it expands your mind, helps you think about different things, gets your creative juices full and that sort of stuff. So nonetheless, finish that book. Now I'm reading a book that I won't tell you about yet because I'm going to actually apply the principles in the book for at least a month. I've already started. And then we'll talk in a month or two about the results of that book. Before we move on, what part of the day do you read? Just curious. It varies. If I wish I wanted something, I would just schedule it and I figure it out. So I guess I shouldn't say I wish I did, did it, but it would be more ideal if I did it in the morning every time, but I do it sometimes in the morning and usually at night I read something before going to bed. That's a pretty good solution okay. or thing for helping me fall immediately asleep if I open up a book. So <laughs> reading at night. And then lastly, took Civilization, that PlayStation 3 Civilization and put it in the trash. And instead of actually doing that in some of my spare time, I am committed to being more connected with Colleen and just being more present. It wasn't a problem. I wasn't playing too much, but the time I was playing, there was no interaction with you know, mm-hmm. anyone. So instead, last night, we played a board game. I love board games. I love games, and she does too. We played a board game called Quicks. And it's just a fun game. And lastly, working out more. I mentioned last week that I was doing the cash value insurance. I don't have a specific update on that because still doing the paperwork and things, but did take a physical for it earlier this week. And I don't remember what my blood pressure was, but it was very good. And my pulse was 54. So it all checked out good. So I bring that up just because I've been working out more been mixing in weights and running yesterday. I, I ran a mile and then did sprints and then did another mile after that. And then one suggestion I have is if you have a lot of calls, then find a way where you can exercise during the calls. Kind of unusual to do at first, but what I do mostly now is when I have a call, I'll do it on my treadmill and I'll have just a piece of wood that I put over my treadmill and I can prop my laptop on top of that so I can walk while I'm doing my calls. And I did that yesterday. I had six, seven hours worth of calls on different things yesterday. I'm back to back to back to back to back to back. And I would be afterwards very upset and just cranky if I was sitting down doing all the calls because I'm not getting exercise. Mm -hmm. But from that, I actually had more energy on the calls and afterwards it was pretty good. So um, finding a way to incorporate exercise into the day-to-day stuff is helpful. So I mentioned all this, again, not to say, hey, this is all the cool stuff I'm doing. It's just little changes that I'm making that will make incremental differences initially, and then over time will make larger differences. And some of these are forever skills like CPR, so I acquired a forever skill. And some of these are more temporary, and you better keep it up, buddy. And that's working out and other things. That's a couple of things to add. If you want a good board game recommendation, I recommend Settlers of Catan. Mm, um, I don't you can dig that, but I will. <laughs> yeah, me and Marcelo play Settlers of Catan all the time. And then, yeah, incorporating and working out into your daily work life. It's just simple. Whenever I'm on the phone, I just put on my headphones and kind of pace around the house. And that's how I get my walking in. And I actually got so bad at working out 
that I just put a gym in my garage. I got no excuse because we were getting up at so early in the morning to go to the gym. We were going at 5 a.m. and that was just too intense for me. So now I can just go in my garage and pump some iron whenever I want. So it's kind of figuring out your weak points and then finding a solution to them. It's awesome. Yeah, that's the way to do it. We all got weak points or areas that we can hone. So it's just identifying where they are and keeping on improving. And that's the key, incremental improvement. All right, let's wrap it up. All right, so we've got the best ever conference. 2019 is officially live. Ooh, that's right. So you guys can buy your ticket at thebesteverconference.com. It has been live for quite some time, but we are starting to put in the guests mm-hmm. who are speaking at the conference. And at besteverconference.com, the tickets today will be a lot cheaper than they are at the end of the year. So I think they're $7.99 now, but mm-hmm. at the end of the year, they're going to go to $1,000 a ticket. So if you're planning on going to Denver and hanging out and attending the two-day conference late February, then I suggest you get your tickets between now and the end of the year. Exactly. That's besteverconference.com. And then lastly, we're going to do the book review of the week. So make sure if you've purchased the best ever apartment syndication book, you leave a review on Amazon, take a screenshot and send it to info at Joe Fairless, and we will send you a whole bunch of free apartment syndication goodies. This week's review is from Dallas Investor, and they said, admittedly, I have not finished the book. I am through chapter three. However, it is more than enough sample size to draw conclusions. First of all, I can't wait to finish it. That is the most powerful endorsement that I can provide. It is very well written. Fairless and Hicks pack a tremendous amount of knowledge into each chapter and page, yet presented in a very simple, intuitive, and easy-to-digest format. If you are a beginning investor, it is not only highly recommended, but should be considered a must-read. Thank you so much for that feedback and taking time to do the review. Really appreciate it. And best ever listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you got a lot of value from today's conversation. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. If you're syndicating deals, I recommend you check out the annual Raising Money Summit in Denver. The two-day event on November 17th and 18th is going to sell out, but you can get your ticket today and you'll save $100. Go to realbluespruce.com forward slash best ever.